I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, two openings of Scripture, Romans chapter 8 and Proverbs chapter 20. We started last uh, Sunday morning a series on uh, being led by the Holy Ghost, but it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit uh, different series than, uh, than what we would normally uh, teach along this line. Um, we have some um, uh, materials and different things back at the the um, bookstore on this subject. Not only things that I've taught in the past, but uh, particularly Brother Hagen's book on how to be led by the Spirit of God. I would highly recommend that to everybody. Um, one of the things that uh, that the Lord has really impressed upon me regarding this series is in uh, what the what the Paul said by the Holy Ghost. Concerning the last days, and I'm going to read from, uh, and I, I spoke to this last Sunday morning, if you were with us, you may recall. First um, Timothy chapter 4, the first couple of verses, Paul said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, last days in other words, some shall depart from the faith, and he's talking about the church, sinners can't depart from the faith, they, they were never there. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It goes on to say, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So the gay marriage issue is not the final word on the subject. Paul talks about forbidding to marry. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all is going to be involved in, in getting from where we are now to where he's speaking of then. But there is still more to come. Don't think it's the end of anything. It's just the beginning. But one of the things that, that really caught my attention about this is that it said one of the, the um, descriptions of the last day church, or at least some in the last day church, will be that they depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And here's why. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now we'll see and, and talk about this more as we get further into the series. But for the sake of... Um, uh, discussion or just to to help make the point this morning your conscience is the voice of your spirit in other words it's saying the reason the church is going to depart from the faith and get into all these doctrines of devils and seducing spirits and speaking lies and hypocrisy is because they're not listening to their spirits well if that's the case then the last days in the last days one of the most important things should be to learn how to listen to our spirits in other words one of the key elements to the church staying on track is to be spirit-led out there do you understand where i'm going with that now it's an interesting thing uh, there's a uh, um over the last several weeks more so than than uh, um than any time that i know of or can remember in the almost 30 years of pastoring the church 30 years it'll be 30 years in january since uh, we started the church and in those uh, 29 and a half years there has never been a time where people where more people have been telling me as a pastor, what I ought to do than the last couple of weeks. It's, un, it's unreal. There are voices coming from everywhere telling me what I as a pastor and what every other pastor ought to do and how we ought to do it and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and folks, I can't win on this subject because some people are already upset that I'm talking about politics and some of the current events and stuff. Some people are upset that I'm not saying more about it. So what do you do? 
And one of the things that I've noticed is that the voices of the voices that are telling me as a pastor what I ought to do, none of those that I'm aware of or have seen or read or heard or whatever, heard from, none of those have walked with the Lord as long as I have. None of them are as committed to the Lord as I am. And none of them know the word as well as I do. And I've noticed that the people that are as committed to the Lord as I am and have walked with the Lord as long as I have and do know the word as well as I do are not the ones telling me what I ought to do. Now, there are voices out there that are talking about civil disobedience and different things like that. And I've noticed that those are coming from the group that don't know the Lord as well as I do. Because I've got to tell you something, folks, and some of the voices are saying that pastors ought to be preaching, stand up and do this and be ready to, to, for civil disobedience and organize and all this kind of stuff. Uh, folks, I've got to tell you something. I really think community organizing has gotten us in part of the trouble we're in. <laughs> And I will never tell you to operate in civil disobedience. And the reason for that is, and I'm not saying there, there won't be times where you should. But the reason I won't be the one to tell you what to do is because that's something you're going to need to learn to follow the Lord about in your situation for yourself. It's going to be sad when some of these people wind up in jail saying, well, my pastor said I ought to do this. Well, where's your pastor? Well, he's at home eating bonbons. <laughs> and folks, we all come from our own position of, of, of what we, well, we all develop our opinions based on our world, our worldview. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the loudest voices out there talking about civil disobedience and different kinds of things, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm glad he's got a voice. I'm, I'm glad, uh, even if he's saying the wrong thing, I'm glad he's talking about putting God first and doing godly things. Paul said that some, pe- some men preach Christ out of contention, supposing to add to his afflictions. He said, I'm just glad Jesus is priest. So I'm not against anybody. But one of the voices out there is a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Now, their worldview is a whole lot different than mine. As I understand it, and, and it's kind of hard to find out. I mean, you can research it and so forth, but, the, but it's, it's not prominent in LDS uh, literature or, or teachings or whatever because it doesn't play a big part in their worldview. But as far as their worldview is, is concerned, as I've been able to research it at least, they don't believe Jesus is coming back for the church. They believe that the, that the church, which they pretty much mean them, I think, is going to go through times of tribulation and then Jesus is coming back to the earth and then Jesus is going to remake a new heaven and a new earth for those that operated honestly and dealt fairly in life and, and, and so forth. Well, folks, i got to tell you, if that was my hope, I'd work tirelessly to take our country back. But that's not my hope. My hope and my belief based on the word of God is that Jesus is coming back and I believe he's coming back soon. And the Bible says very clearly that the only thing that he's waiting for to come back for the church is to receive the precious fruit of the earth that's brought about by the early and the latter rain, meaning a move of the Holy Ghost. So for that reason, because that's my hope, because I believe Jesus is coming back soon, taking back our country is not even on my radar screen. But what is on my radar screen is getting people saved. 
what is on my radar screen is getting people filled with the Holy Ghost and getting people healed by the power of God to manifest and demonstrate the power of God and the glory of God so that people will want to come into the family of God. But you get criticized. Some people will criticize you because you don't want to take the country back. Well, folks, it's not that I don't want to take the country back. I don't think we have time to take the country back. So for that reason, I do talk about end time stuff and current events and and things that are going on around us. I hope that doesn't offend you. But if it does, I'm sorry that it does. Because all I can give you is what I believe the Lord has given me to tell you. Amen? And for that reason, I believe, you judge this for yourself, but I believe that being led by the Holy Ghost in these last days is more important than it's ever been. We've got a much bigger minefield to navigate than we've ever had before. Politically, socially, and and every other way, spiritually and every other way. So have you found Romans 8 and Proverbs chapter 20? Romans chapter 8, notice verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice what the, the, the uh, connector is between man and God. Notice what the definition or the, the, uh, the criteria for what Paul is talking about. Now, granted, we're pulling some verses out of, script, out of context here. But Paul is talking about in the 8th chapter of uh, Romans, he's talking about living a victorious life by letting the life of God dwell in you. So in that context, he's saying the key to victory is being led by the Holy Ghost. And notice he identifies that with the sons of God. Now, who are the sons of God? Isn't that everybody that's saved? So notice that he's saying that everybody that's born again, everybody that's made Jesus the Lord of their lives, has a right, and I believe a responsibility, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, how's he going to do that? Notice verse 16. The Spirit hits itself. King James says itself. He's not an it. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Notice God does not bear witness with your body. He does not bear witness with your mind. He bears witness with your spirit. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, you start talking about this, these kind of verses with most Christians, and they'll look at you like you're out of your mind. Because the idea, the concept of being led by the Spirit of God, the idea of being a spirit being, is so far into the modern-day church it, it seems otherworldly. Well, it is. It's of the spirit world, which too many Christians don't know anything about, unfortunately. Now, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul identifies the makeup of man by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost inspired him to tell how God made man. First Thessalonians 5, 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, in other words. And I pray, God, your whole, entire, spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells what God, how God made man. He made man a spirit. He gave him a soul and he put him in a body or he lives in a body. Man is a spirit. Notice God always starts with the most important things. Man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Now knowing that, knowing that Paul is going to be the same one that writes that to Thessalonians, read verse 16 again in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, not our souls, not our bodies. 
He bears witness with our spirit. In other words, if you're going to know the voice of God, you're going to have to know it through your spirit. Now, how many Christians do you know of? We all do, I'm sure, that are looking to circumstances. They're looking to outward things. They're looking to to natural things or thoughts in their own mind to be God speaking to them. But that's not how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through our spirits. Well, if that's true, and it is, is there anything more important than developing spiritual sensitivity? Could we not say then that spiritual sensitivity is the key to being led by the Holy Ghost? To knowing the will of God for you? Proverbs 20, verse 27. Notice it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, not the body of man, not the mind of man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, this is written kind of in, in uh, Old Testament terminology because in the day that this is written, they use candles to light rooms. They use candles to negotiate and navigate in the dark. We might say the spirit of man is the light bulb of the Lord today. In other words, it's where you, wherever you need to turn on a light. Now, when do you need to turn lights on? When you can't see well. You ever been in a situation, maybe as a kid, led into a room by your friends or something? And you couldn't tell. It was so dark you couldn't see. I know that we had an attic that we would go into, a friend's attic that we'd go into. And, man, that was the scariest place on the planet. First time I went up there, they blindfolded me. They were bigger than me, so I I guess that's why I agreed to this. I'm not sure. But I wound up up there, and then they took the blindfold off, and I thought, oh, great, the blindfold's coming off. But it was just as dark without the blindfold as it was with it. And then they left the room real quick. And I don't, I don't know where to move. I don't know where to turn. I, it's like I started feeling around, kicking around, stuff like that. Finally got it to a place over on the, the wall and felt the light switch, turned it on, and all of a sudden I could see. Well, that's what the spirit of man is. It's the candle of the Lord. It's what God uses to enlighten you. Now, once the light was on in that attic, there were a lot of cool stuff up there. I mean, there was fun stuff and there was all kinds of stuff. I stayed around and poked around and looked around and see what was there. But when it was dark, I didn't know that. Now, when the light came on, not, it wasn't that all of a sudden things changed in the room. It's that I became aware of what was in the room. I didn't need to feel around anymore to see where to take my next step. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. That means this, therefore. It means the spirit of man is what God uses to reveal to you, to reveal things to you, and secondly, to give you direction. He enlightens you from your spirit. He reveals things to you through your spirit. He gives you direction through your spirit. Not through your mind and not through your body, meaning your circumstances or your situation or whatever. And again, how many Christians do you know that are praying that God will change the circumstances to show show them what way to go? Do you realize what a wasted prayer that is? That's not the way God works. God enlightens you. He gives you direction. He reveals to you through your spirit. If we don't know that we are spirit beings, if we don't know how to contact God with our spirits, if we don't know how to... Uh, develop our spirits and listen to our spirits, how in the world are we ever going to know the will of God? You know, a scary thought to me to try to estimate the percentage of Christians that are walking in the will of God for their lives. Because I know how few Christians even accept the concept or the teaching, 
have even, even ever, ever even heard the teaching that man is a spirit being. Well, if you don't know your spirit and you don't know how to listen to God from your spirit, how do you know to find the will of God for your life? I mean, it's very possible. This is less than 5% of the church population worldwide that are walking in the will of God for their lives. Well, what does that mean? That means whatever the percentage is that haven't found the will of God for their lives are just muddling along as well as best as they can, operating on natural gifts, natural inclinations, natural thinkings, just to make their way. And people wonder why the same works that Jesus did aren't being done in the church. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about his own experience, the dilemma that he was in. And notice that he said, um, what do I want to start? I think I want to start in verse 21. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, if that's the place that Paul came to because of the revelation he received from Jesus, isn't that a good place for us to attain as well? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you look at death as a gain, what is there to fear? Now, I'm not saying people ought to be foolish and be reckless with their lives. But death is nothing to fear. At least it wasn't for Paul. Now, why is that? Why was it nothing to fear for Paul? He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I want not. In other words, I haven't decided yet. Please notice that Paul is making a decision between physical life and death. Well, Pastor Mike, you mean that's our choice? Paul says it is. If this was inspired by the Holy Ghost and God's no respecter of persons, then if it was a, a, a choice for Paul, it's a choice for you and me. You have something to say about it. Well, I've never heard anything like that in all my days. You might want to read the Bible every now and then. Because it's been there all the time. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. In other words, I haven't decided. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. Here's the, 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 the quandary that I'm in and as far as my decision is concerned. I'm in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. See, that's why death is nothing to fear. Physical death is just departing and being with Christ, which is far better. Now, if he just said it was better, that'd be good, but he said it was far better. Which is far better. Notice verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh or live in the body is more needful for you. So what's he talking about? He's talking about He's trying to decide whether or not he wants to leave his body. Now, who's he? When Paul says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, who's he mean? What does he mean when he says I? He's talking about him, the real him. He's talking about the man that lives on the inside of the body. He's talking about his spirit. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, I delight after the law of God, or delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul called the spirit a man on the inside. A man on the inside. So if we put these things together, the spirit of man or the man on the inside 
is the one that God reveals and directs. Reveals to and directs. Gives direction to. Paul said, I'm, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. Because it's better for you if I abide in the flesh or live in the body. But I want to depart and be with Christ. I want you to notice, folks, living is not the issue. He's going to live whether he stays in his body or goes to heaven to be with Christ. Living is not the issue. Living is never an issue for any spirit being. Since God made man in his own image, man is an eternal spirit. The question is, where are you going to live? Like they say in real estate, the three most important factors are location, location, location. That is so much more even true where eternity is concerned. It's location, location, location. So he's saying, I'm going to live one way or the other. See, people that go to hell exist. We think of living as being existence. They exist in hell, and they'll experience eternal torment. Or you can exist in heaven, experiencing eternal joy. It all comes down to Jesus. It's not a matter of what somebody does or doesn't do, other than whether or not they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, Paul's certainly done that. And so he says, I've got a desire to depart and be with Christ. I've come to the realization of how things work and what things in heaven are like. And remember, he's the one that was caught up into the third heaven and saw and heard things that he wasn't able to describe. King James says it's not lawful to say, but it literally means I'm not able to describe to you. Well, I guess after you see things like that, it would be easier to, to have a desire, develop a desire to depart and be with Christ. Folks, your best day on earth doesn't even count when it comes to heaven. Paul saw those things. And so he decided, he said, I'm ready to go. I want to go. I want to go. The man on the inside wants to go. But it's better for you if I stay here in the body. Better for you if I stay here in the body. Now notice something else Paul said about the inward man. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul speaking of the, of the spirit, he said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish... We found that to be true, huh? Outward man meaning the body. Though the outward man perish or is decaying, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You never get any older spiritually. That doesn't mean you can't mature spiritually. You can. But you don't get any older. The spirit man is renewed day by day. Now what's he renewed by? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 to renew your mind with the word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the word of God. Now, why is that true? Why is that necessary? Why is that so important? And folks, that is, uh, this is my opinion. You judge this for whatever you think is worth. I can prove it to you by the Bible, but I'm just going to throw it out as my opinion. The word's going to be the dividing line in the last days. The dividing line between those that depart from the faith and those that stay steady in the things of God is not those people that depart lose their salvation. It means they depart from the word. They don't lose their salvation. They stay saved. They just quit walking according to the truth of the word. You got a lot of the church that are making that decision over gay marriage now. Regardless of what the word says, they say, well, we think everybody ought to have the right to whatever, whatever, whatever. That's where the dividing line is going to be. The dividing line is going to be the word. 
Well, why is that so important? Because it's the word that renews your spirit. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. He said in, when he was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what kind of life is he talking about? Man shall not live by bread alone. What does he mean? Does he mean the word is necessary for, to live a natural life? Well, it's not. The unsaved live without the word every day. They live a natural life. The life he's talking about is an eternal life. He's talking about a spirit life, a spirit-dominated life. The devil has just tempted him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his physical needs instead of his spiritual purpose. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why? Because the word is the only thing that God has ever put in place that fits or feeds or develops you spiritually. Now, with that in mind, how many Christians do you know that are starving themselves every day? The word's the only thing that can feed your spirit. There is no spiritual development. There is no spiritual sustenance. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. Now, notice how Peter calls it. Peter refers to the, the things of the spirit. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. He's talking about wives and how they should deal with their husbands and so forth. But the, the, uh, for our sake this morning, for our purpose... I want to pull the, out the principle that he speaks to where he talks about spiritual things. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4, he says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart. He's telling the wives, don't put all your time and all your attention into, folk, into your hair and your makeup and your clothes and all that kind of stuff. But he says, adorn yourself spiritually. Put effort into spiritual things. Well, that's not just true for the wives. That should be true for everybody, isn't it? So notice what he says. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. Now what does he mean, the hidden man of the heart? Well, he's talking about the spirit of man. He goes on to say, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So your heart's got to be your spirit. Now he's not talking about the, the organ inside of our bodies that pumps blood. He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the spirit of man. Even the, the ornament of a, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, why does Paul, or Paul calls him the inward man. Paul identifies the spirit as the inward man. He says that inward man is renewed day by day. We know that's by the word. Now, notice what Peter says about that inward man. He calls him the hidden man of the heart, meaning the spirit. Why does he call him hidden? Because he's hidden from your five physical senses. He's hidden from the natural man. He's hidden from the body. He's hidden from the circumstances of life. He's the hidden man of the heart. Now that helps, under, helps us understand what Jesus was talking about. Where Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Meaning his spirit. Meaning the prayer of faith that he's identifying or the operation of faith that he's identifying in, math, in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, he's talking about being a heart operation, a spiritual operation. Here's another scary thought. What percentage of the church's prayers are spiritual prayers as opposed to natural prayers, as opposed to mental praying? Folks, I'm not so... 
bothered by the, the lack of signs and wonders and miracles in these last days or in the church world. I'm amazed that God's been able to do anything with the church whatsoever. Because the church has been trying to do spiritual things with natural means. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me show you something else Paul said about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Should be the easiest thing in the world for spirit-filled Christians to identify their spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 Paul said in verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice Paul makes the distinction between the spirit and the understanding or the mind. We might say it this way. He makes the distinction between spirit and soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. God doesn't bear witness with your mind. He bears witness with your spirit. He doesn't bear witness with your emotions. He bears witness with your spirit. Now, Paul says, here's a dividing line. Here's one way that you can tell. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean his head is not working? No, it means it's not productive as far as the prayer is concerned. The prayer doesn't come through his mind. The words, the speaking in other tongues doesn't come through his mind. It bypasses that it goes directly from his spirit to God. Now the body has to be yielded in order to speak with tongues or to pray in tongues. But it's not an operation of the body. It's not an operation of the mind. It's an operation of the spirit. So he's saying his mind is not productive. Now I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm praying in tongues, my mind starts wandering to all kinds of things. And I have to bring it back over and think about the things that I need to be thinking about. So it doesn't mean your mind's not operational, but it means it's not productive as far as your prayer is concerned. So again, I'll ask the question, how much of the church is praying spirit prayers rather than mind mental prayers, prayers of the mind? Well, which one's more effective? Now, don't get me wrong, folks. Your mind can play a part in your prayer life and should. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. In other words, both are important. So praying with your understanding or praying with your mind must be helpful or else the Holy Ghost would have said, forget about that praying with your mind and just pray in tongues all the time. So it can be helpful, but what makes it helpful? What makes mental praying helpful? Well, remember the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That means if you're going to contact God, you're going to have to contact him spiritually, not mentally. God's not a mind. Well, how can we pray with our minds or with our understanding? Well, we might say in, in common vernacular, how, how can we pray in English? Assuming that's your first language. How can we pray in English effectively? Well, there's only one way, and that is to pray the word. Now, what percentage of the church is doing that? Man, this is getting depressing. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Isn't it interesting that Paul talked about the, his uh, frequency of praying in tongues when he was writing to the Corinthians? 
He said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Isn't it interesting that Paul would make that kind of statement with the, with the, to the Corinthian church particularly because they were a tongue-talking bunch. So much so that all of their services were, were basically speaking in tongues and people coming in from the outside didn't know what was going on and they had a reputation of being the crazy people. I got to tell you, folks, that's one of the things that, that made me really resist getting filled with the Holy Ghost because I knew how people talked about the Pentecostal church in, in the town that I was in. I did not want to be associated with those nuts. And I found out that God doesn't want you to be a nut just because you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, he would have told the Corinthian church, you guys are on the right track. I know everybody thinks you're crazy, but don't worry. That's the plan of God for you. But in other words, but instead he brought them back to a place where they could have order in their services where people wouldn't think they were crazy. It was a great revelation for me to realize God doesn't want people to think you're crazy. I wish some others would get that revelation. So that held me back. Held me back a lot. Now I see how foolish it was. I can see it was just lack of understanding. Which holds a lot of us out of a lot of things, I guess. But here's Paul saying, when I pray with an unknown tongue, my spirit is praying. Look at how the church has limited itself. The church that argues about whether or not speaking in tongues is for everybody. Look at how the church has limited itself from a vital means of prayer. I wonder if that has anything to do with Paul's revelation. Paul talks about speaking with tongues more than the Corinthian church. And it's Paul's revelation. Paul was the one that was caught up into the third heaven and heard unspeakable words and so forth. I wonder if those things had anything to do with one another. We can see time after time in the book of Acts where Paul is led by the Spirit of God in different ways, a variety of ways. Sometimes it was by the inward witness. Sometimes it was a dream. Sometimes it was a vision. There's all kinds of different ways that Paul was led. But it's all being led by God through his Spirit. I wonder if that had anything to do with the fact that he spoke with tongues so much. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the God's means of revealing to you. It's God's means of enlightening you and giving you direction. Those things have to be related, folks. Have to be related. Just have to be related. The greatest revelations I've ever received, I received speaking in tongues. Whether it was at the time that I was speaking in tongues, all of a sudden I just knew what I was supposed to do, or it came shortly thereafter when I'd been praying about things that I hadn't known. That's going to be true for everybody. One of the things that... Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. One of the scriptures that aggravates the stew out of me, the way people take them and the way people try to interpret things, with a complete lack of understanding is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know what your experience with this scripture is, but I only heard this when it was at somebody's funeral or some tragedy took place and some preacher would stand up and say, well, we know that all things work together for good. We don't know why God needed to take this little boy at age two Somebody was trying to be poetic. They'd say God needed another flower in heaven. God created the earth in six days. He needs to take a child for a flower. Give me a break. But you hear people say, well, we don't understand why this tragedy happened, but we know. 
that all things work together for good to them that love God and that are called according to his purpose. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up to verse 26. Paul said, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Now, the likewise is in reference to the fact that he's just said the whole earth, the whole earth is groaning and prevailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That means waiting for Jesus to come back and we receive our redeemed bodies. The earth is waiting for things to be put back in order, in other words. Likewise, in the same way that the earth is groaning, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. The infirmities means weakness. Now, he's going to define the weakness that he's talking about. What weakness does he mean? This is the one he's talking about. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. How many times have you gone to prayer and said, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this? You may know of an outcome that you want, but you don't know all the ins and outs. Why? Because our mind is limited. This is especially true where you're praying for other people. But even some things in your, about yourself and God's plan for your life or your future or whatever the case is, there's a lot of things that you don't know what to pray for like you should because you can't see the future. Well, that's the infirmity. That's the weakness he's talking about. Likewise, the Holy Spirit also helps our infirmities. Which one? For we know not what to pray for as we ought. He doesn't say we don't know what to pray for. He says we don't know what to pray for like we ought to know because of the limitations of the flesh. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, P.C. Nelson, who was the foremost Greek scholar in his day, said that this phrase, with groanings which cannot be uttered, can be summarized into God talk. It's talking about speaking in tongues. It's talking about speaking in tongues. Paul said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. You think he's talking about something different here? No, he's talking about the same thing. He's using different terminology to make the point that just like the earth is waiting for things to be put in order, God has given us the Holy Spirit to put things in order. Well, what means does he use? Utterance in other tongues. And he that searches the hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. That's the one giving you utterance in other tongues. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, the utterance he's giving you in other tongues is a prayer according to the will of God. The Holy Ghost is helping you pray according to the will of God, even though you don't know what to pray for as you ought because of the limitations of your mind. The Holy Ghost fills in that gap, makes up the difference by giving you utterance in other tongues to pray the perfect will of God. Christians that refuse to receive the Holy Spirit or refuse to accept that the Holy Spirit is for everybody, every Christian, forfeit a great means of praying the perfect will of the Father about themselves and their own lives. Now, that's the context that Paul's talking about when he says, verse 28, and we know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that pray. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. He's talking about after you pray in the Holy Ghost. There's a song about this verse that's on, that my daughter has put on my uh, MP3 player in my car. I've got a little flash drive that plays in my car. And this song comes on, and this verse over and over and over. And we know that all things work together for good. And we know that all things work together for good. And we know. And I started singing 
in the middle of it after we pray in the Holy Ghost. I started that when my kids were real young because I don't want them to think that all things work together for good no matter what happens. I want them to know that it's after you pray in the Holy Ghost. That's what verse, 20, verse 28 is speaking to. After we pray in the Spirit of God, after we pray the perfect will of the Father in other tongues, that's when we know that all things work together for good. Oh, how important the being led by the Spirit of God is. Whether it's being led by the Spirit of God in prayer, whether it's being led by the Spirit of God in direction for your life, whether it's being led by the Spirit of God to show you things to come, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Albeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. Folks, I'm getting more revelation from the Holy Ghost now than I've ever gotten. And a lot of it has to do with things to come. A lot of it has to do with what's coming down the road. God doesn't want anybody to be taken unawares, any of his children to be taken unawares by what's going on in the world. And these things won't take us by surprise if we'll be led by the Holy Spirit. He'll show you the minor details of life. Several years ago, uh, many of you know that I'm dealing with a physical situation, physical affliction. Um that the doctors have diagnosed as Parkinson's. Well, this thing started, um, uh, it's been about four, four, maybe four and a half years ago now. And it started just out of the blue. I was by myself in, at home, and all of a sudden my, my hand, my right hand and my right foot began to shake. And, and without thinking, I was by myself, without thinking, I said, Lord, what in the world is this? And instantly the Holy Spirit showed me what it was. Now, I've been to a half dozen doctors since then, and none of them have diagnosed it right. It's not Parkinson's. But I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what to do about it, and I am. And I know exactly when it's going to be done with. Now, it's not like I prayed and said, Lord, show me. But these things come by developing yourself spiritually. Every time I go to the doctor, they're just looking at the symptoms and say, well, it looks like Parkinson's. Well, gee, I needed to pay you to hear that. I couldn't have figured that out on my own. But that's all they're doing. They're looking at symptoms and they're saying, well, this is what it looks like. Well, what can you do about it? Well, nothing. Well, that's not exactly true. They can give me drugs that will make me put me in a stupor. I won't be able to function, but my hand won't shake. <laughs> what a trade-off. But not a one of them had gotten it because the Holy Ghost told me what it was. Told me what it was, told me why it was, told me what to do about it. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, that's been four and a half years ago. Yeah, I know. I wish it was a lot quicker than it has been. But the important thing is, I know. The important thing is, I've got direction from the Holy Ghost. See, even if things don't work out to your advantage... At the present time, if you've got direction from the Holy Ghost, it holds you steady. See, if I didn't know, I'd be questioning all kinds of things. Why isn't my faith working? Is there something wrong with me? 
Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in my life. It amazes me how Christians go looking for some hidden sin in their life. Like they weren't there when they did it. How could sin be hidden? Well, gee golly, I did that and didn't even know it. Seriously? But Christians let the devil twist them all up. And the reason for it is because they're not confident in the things that they've got in their spirit. They're not giving time and attention to develop them, developing themselves spiritually. Or they're not confident in the fact that the Holy Ghost will show you things to come. Do you realize how few things will take you by surprise if you'll develop yourself spiritually? There's not much. There may be something every now and then that will come down the road that will surprise you. But those things are few and far between. And most of them won't be serious issues either. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. I really didn't plan to go this direction this morning, but I'm glad I did. Because there's nothing more important for you in these last days to use the power, the supernatural equipment, the divine power of God, which is speaking in other tongues. Whether you know it or not, it's the threshold of every other part of the power of God in operation. It's a very, very rare thing to find somebody that God uses in some other means of power that doesn't give themselves to speaking in other tongues first. Very rare. So rare that I can't even name somebody. I don't know of anybody that falls in that category. I'm just on principle not willing to say that it can't happen because God's bigger than what I think that might be or might not be. But I don't know of anybody that's ever been in that boat. Speaking with other tongues is the key to the power of God. It's the key to the revelation of God for the things that you don't know and need to know in your life. It's the key to the direction of God for your life. It's so important. Now the Bible talks about two works of the Holy Ghost. I I see my time's about out, so let me close with this. The Bible talks about two works of the Holy Ghost. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. One translation, I like this one, says a new species of being. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, those old things that pass away can't be physical things because you don't get a new body when you get born again. They can't be mental things because your mind doesn't change. Your interests don't change. The things of your soul don't change just because you gave your heart to Jesus. Well, what things all, uh, what old things pass away and what things become new? He's talking about spiritually. There's a recreation of the human spirit when you are born again, when you give Jesus lordship of your life, the place of lordship. You are made a new creature. God, the Bible says God takes away the dead, stony heart, the heart that was hard toward him, the heart that was hard toward others takes away that stony, dead, spiritually dead heart out of you, spirit, and replaces it with a new creation. Now, I don't know how that works. I mean, it's easy to say God replaces your old spirit with a new spirit, but how do you keep being you? But it's not that God cleans up the old spirit. It says he gives you a new spirit. He says a new, a new heart, a new spirit will I put within him, and then I'll put my spirit inside of him. So I'm not sure how all that works. And it has to be instantly... 
Because if there was just uh, uh, the shortest amount of time that your spirit left your body, then your body would die. So it has to be instantaneous. God's so much bigger than we give him credit to be. And I don't know how all this works. I just know the Bible says this is the way it is. So when we're born again, when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, confess him as our Lord, God recreates your spirit. And then the Bible says that the evidence of that is he puts his love on the inside of you. John said, writing to the church, he said, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. The fruit of the spirit over in Galatians chapter 5 is just there are different characteristics of the love of God. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Those are all characteristics of love. Romans 5, 5 says, God has shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who's given to us. When is he given to us? When we're born again. And so when somebody's born again, the thing that changes on the inside of them is love. The evidence of that new creation is love. But then the second work of the Holy Ghost that the Bible tells about is being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, when a a believer, and this is for believers, salvation is for the world, but the infilling of the Holy Ghost is for those that have already made Jesus their Lord. A lot of times people will do them at the same time, and that works too. But the Bible says that when somebody comes to Jesus and then seeks the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it says that God, by faith, just like salvation works, by faith, fills them with the Holy Ghost and the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is that God gives you utterance to speak in other tongues. So the evidence of salvation is love. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is to speak with other tongues. Both of those are important. Both of those are necessary. One is to get you in the family of God. The other is to let the the power of God work in you in this life. Now how can we say one is more important than the other or how can we say that one is not important for today? The very means that God gave for the power of God to work in you for supernatural communication, supernatural prayer life. How can anybody say, well, we don't need that today? That's been done away with. Well, if it's been done away with, what God give us instead or in his place? And why didn't the Bible tell us that those things would be done away with? And when they were done away with, then here's what we could expect instead. Oh, yeah, but Pastor Mike, the Bible says tongues will cease. Yeah, when you get to heaven. Same thing, the same time the Bible says the tongues will cease, it says knowledge will cease. I know, I know a lot of Christian pastors and Christian ministers that I think that's already happened already. <laughs> but it's talking about when we get to heaven. Knowledge will be superseded by truth. You won't need to talk in tongues anymore because there will be no limitation in your body. Thank God for both works of the Holy Ghost. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, please? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the operation of the Spirit of God. The whole reason Jesus came to the earth was so that the Spirit of God could live in us. So that our lives could be changed. So that we could return back to you as our Heavenly Father. Things could be in order for us in our lives. Even as it was in the Garden of Eden. 